Father, we, uh, as we come here today and we, we look at uh, uh, the First Peter chapter 3, Lord, it's just a great lesson here for us, great news for us here, Lord, that just how you want us to have the good life and show us how, what the good life is, Lord. Even in difficult times, even during persecutions, we can experience that good life that you want us to have. But there are conditions, and Lord, you're going to show us those conditions today, and so we're going to want to live by those conditions and meet those conditions so that, that uh, we do experience that life that you have for us. We just, we just pray for your blessing on our service today, Lord. We just pray that you anoint this study, that you anoint our ears and hearts to hear what you would have us to say. It's such an encouragement here, Lord, and, and there's such great precepts here for us to learn, so we, we want to learn these things as only you can teach us. We ask that in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to live the good life. How many of y'all want to live the good life? I'm not going to ask you how many of you are living the good life, but uh, I know I want to live the good life. Well, what's the good life? You know, a lot of people say the good life is that you're just so rich that uh, you don't have to work, that you can buy anything you want, you can go anywhere you want, anytime you want, you can do whatever you want, that's the good life. Well, for a lot of people, uh, the good life is, they look at it as a, a, a more simple life, a life where, you know, you can kind of hang out at the beach, lay out, you, you and your wife or your girlfriend, and just put out a couple of beach chairs, and you just watch, chill, and watch the waves come in. You know, I, I kind of like that life. That's, that's a good life. Uh, but is chilling at the beach the good life, or is being rich where you can buy anything you want, do anything you want, is that the good life? Well, we've been listening to Solomon on Wednesday nights uh, talking about the good life in Ecclesiastes, and he kind of approached it a couple of ways. And, and uh, you know, he made a statement in, in Ecclesiastes that's kind of amazing. In fact, you're told in the book of Kings that he was the richest and wisest man on earth. And so he had it all. And he said, I worked hard to even accumulate more. And he said, I worked so hard... And he said, you know what I did? I rewarded myself, and what I rewarded myself with was with this, that anything I saw, I bought it. I took it. I went there. I did whatever I wanted to do. And you know what he had to say about that life? It wasn't so good. You know what he had to say about it in the end? Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. But did that mean that Solomon didn't find the good life? No, Solomon found the good life. He found the good life by living in the will of the Lord. And listen to what he said about the good life. He said, he said this in, in uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24. He says, Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink and that he should enjoy good in his life and in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. Of God. How did Solomon find the good life? He found it in the hand of God. In other words, the good life is a gift from God. It's a gift God wants to give all of his children. He wants us all to have the good life. And that's what Peter's going to be talking about today. He's going to be talking about the good life. He's going to say the same thing. But what he's going to do, he's going to say, if you want the good life, these are the conditions. 
And he's already given us one of the conditions. And what was that condition? If you want to live the good life that God wants you to live, what's one of the conditions? That you submit. That you submit to whatever authority God has placed you under. You'll never have the good life if you don't submit to the government that you're under, if you don't submit in your household, if you don't submit in your workplace, you will never experience the good life. You just won't experience it. Why? Because if you're rebelling against authority, who are you rebelling against, ultimately? You're rebelling against God, and God is not going to give the good life to a bunch of rebels. He's just not going to do it. So he's given us one condition. We've got to submit. Now he gives us some more conditions as we come to, to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you want to pick up with me, in verse number 8. And he starts off with one of those favorite preacher words, finally. Now whenever a preacher says finally, don't think you're, we're about to get out early. That's not going to happen. <laughs> finally usually means he's just getting started good. That's, that's what it means. So finally, he says, all of you, all of you who are in Christ, be of one mind. And what mind is that? The mind of Jesus Christ, having compassion on one another. We're to, you, you want the good life? Then you've got to have compassion for one another. What's compassion mean? It means you look upon someone who's maybe in worse circumstances than you're in, and you think of how can I help these people? I mean, how can I lift these people up? You have compassion on them. You care for them, and especially for the brothers and sisters in Christ. And you're to love one another as brothers. You know, I tell people all the time, when, when I say all the time, but when I'm doing marriage counseling, that, you know, marriage is not just about Eros love, it's not just about a sexual relationship. You have to be friends with your spouse. You have to love your spouse more than you love your blood brothers or sisters. You, you have to have compassion for your spouse. You have to have compassion for one another. You have to love his brothers and be tender-hearted. What's it mean to be tender-hearted? Are you tender-hearted? What's it mean to be tender-hearted? You know what that means? It means you have empathy for others. In other words, you look at other people, no matter how they treat you, you look at them and you say, you know what? If I was under the stress they are under, I might just be just as nasty as they are. If I had been born in the circumstances that they were born under, I mean, you think of all the people over in the Middle East that are born into the Muslim religion, and they're taught that from a very young age. You know, and, and, and I, there's a tendency for us as Christians to want to hate them. I mean, we hate what they do, and I hate what they stand for. But, hey, we don't want to ever get to the point where we're not tenderhearted, and we realize, hey, we might could have been born over there. Isn't it nice that we were born in America where you're free to worship the way you want to worship and worship who you want to worship, and you can come to a point where you can worship the true and living God? They really don't get that chance. And so we want to be tenderhearted. When we see people that maybe weren't born with the privileges that we have, then we want to have compassion for those people. We want to be tenderhearted. You know, I always say when, I, when I'm out there and I'm starting to get angry at people who are lost and, and, and they don't act the way I want them to act, God reminds me, boy, except by the grace of God, there goes you. That's exactly who you would be. 
We don't want to ever get hard-hearted. And we got to check that when we're getting hard-hearted because we're not going to live the good life if we're hard-hearted. God's not going to give us the good life. That's, that's one of the conditions, that we be tender-hearted. And look at what he says in the next verse, verse number 9. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, criticizing for criticizing, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may, watch this, inherit the blessing. Inherit a blessing. He's not talking about the blessings in the sweet by and by. He's talking about a blessed life. He's talking about the blessings that you receive in this life from God. I mean, you know what the world says? The world says if someone strikes at you, you strike back at them harder. If they revile you, you revile them harder. If they criticize you, you criticize them harder. I watch these, I watch these debates, and I remember the first debate, and they had like 17 candidates on the stage, and I said to myself, boy, they've got some really good candidates this year. I didn't watch the other debate, but I did watch that debate and, and the debate of the other party. But I said, you know, they've got some really good candidates. And then I watched the second debate and the third debate, and I watched these people start striking at each other and reviling. When somebody reviled them, they reviled back. When somebody spoke evil of them, they spoke evil back. And when it, when it was all said and done, I said to myself, man, who do you vote for? Which one of these people really have the character to just stand there and, 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 and act like a Christian and treat people the way you're supposed to treat people even when they don't treat you that way? Because as it said right here, you've been called to this. You've been called to this. What does it mean you've been called to this? It means you're to walk in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And what did he do? Look back at verse number 23 of chapter 2. It says, "Who, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. When he was criticized, he didn't criticize. But he committed himself to the one who judges righteously. That's what we're to do. We're to commit our situation to God. We're not to be the one who strikes back. Vengeance belongs to who? It belongs to the, to the Lord. Now let me tell you something. Jesus wasn't some mamby-pamby. He wasn't a, a sissy. In fact, he didn't mince words. He could say some pretty tough things, but his intention was always to help people, to build them up. Even if he tore them down, his intention in tearing them down was to build them up. But if your intention when you are speaking to people in a very harsh way is to tear them down and hope they never get back up, hit them so hard they can't get up, then you're not walking in the steps of Christ and you're not going to be, you're not going to be blessed. Now, Peter next is going to quote from Psalm 34 and 37, and look at the conditional promises he gives right here. Look at what he says. He says, he who would love life. Catch that? He who would love life and see good days. You know what the good life is? It's loving your life. It's seeing good days all of your life. That's the good life. How many of you here right here can say that you love life? You don't have to raise your hand. Not everybody's raising their hand. And there's times when I wouldn't raise my hand, so don't feel bad. That life doesn't seem so good. 
But if you, and, and usually, you know what, I could go back to this formula right here and I could fix things. Because usually it's because I've got a nasty attitude. It's usually because I'm treating people bad. It's usually because I'm cursing people in traffic, not saying real bad curse words, but, you know, like, <laughs> like, darn, I can't believe you cut me off. It's also going to say something about lying here, so I'm already getting myself in trouble. But he who would love life and see good days, I mean, don't you, not just lots of days, not living a long time on earth, good days. I'd rather have a lot of short days on this earth than a lot of terrible days, wouldn't you? But he says he who would love life and see good days, that's the good life. Now here's the condition. Let him refrain his tongue from evil, from cursing, from criticizing, from reviling others, when the, even though they revile you, and his lips from speaking deceit. God hates lies. He loves us, but he hates it when we lie, and he's not going to bless us when the good, with a good life if we're not exercising any character, if we're constantly lying to people. So if you want to love life and you want to see good days, then refrain your tongue from evil, from cursing and criticizing and reviling. And it's lips from speaking deceit. Look, he goes on. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace with everybody, even those who, who don't like you, even those who are attacking you. You're to seek peace and you're to pursue it. That means you're to run after peace. You're to chase peace. You remember what Jesus said in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers because they are the sons and daughters of God. That's a mark that you're, you've, you've, you've matured in your Christian faith. That's a mark that you're going to lead in the good life because you've become a peacemaker. You pursue peace at all costs. No matter how people treat you, you pursue peace. And then look at what he says in verse number 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Who's the righteous? Those who refrain their tongue from evil. Those who don't lie. Those who turn from evil and do good. His eyes are upon the righteous. That means he's watching over you if you're living a righteous life. Now, let me say something here. If you're a born-again believer, you're not going to lose your salvation. Because you lie sometimes, you're not going to lose your salvation because you're doing some evil things. But let me tell you what you can do. You can live life outside the hedge of God's protection. You go where you want to go without consulting God. And you do what you want to do without consulting God. And you say what you want to say without, without doing what you know is right you say things you know you shouldn't say, you can get yourself outside the hedge of protection of God and outside his, protect, outside his protection and outside his blessing. And he, so, so he says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. If you're living righteously, if you're doing the right thing in whatever relationship you're in, then God is going to hear your prayers. If you're not, I don't care if you pray from 7 o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. God is not going to answer your prayers if you're violating all of these principles that he's laid out right here. This is conditional. 
Because look at the last part of this. It's kind of scary. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil, even those of the church. He will be against you. He won't be for you. He will be against you. Now, he won't be against you in the long run. He'll be against you in the sense God will come against his own children if that's what it takes to get them back in that edge and then get them back to living right. And you're not going to love your life if God is against you. Let me promise you, he's going to make things very miserable in your life. And so you don't want to kick against the goats. You don't want to kick against the cactus. You don't want to kick against God. You don't want God against you. You know, I've heard preachers on several occasions talk about how the church is not under the Deuteronomic covenant. And what they mean by that is this, that that, uh, whether or not God blesses you or whether or not you have hard times or good times is not dependent upon your actions. That is basically what they're saying when they're saying you're not under the Deuteronomic covenant. If you remember the Deuteronomy Covenant, you remember when Moses took the, he took the nation of Israel and he gave them the law and then he, he set half the nation up on Mount Gerizim and he set the other half of the nation up on Mount Ebal. And he had the ones in, on Mount Gerizim shout out blessings if you obey God. But he had the ones on Ebal shout out curses if you disobey God. And so, yeah, we're under grace. And yeah, we're not under law. And so literally, or you could say that we're not under the Deuteronomic Deuteronomic covenant, but the principle still applies. There are conditions to the blessings of God. There aren't conditions to salvation. Once you're saved by grace, you're saved forever, and that's not conditional. The only condition is that you believe, that you keep the faith. That's the only condition. But, but, but once you believe, you're saved. You've been sealed with the Spirit. Your name was written in the book of life, and you're saved forever. But let me tell you what. The good life is conditional upon your actions. It's very conditional upon your actions. And, 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 and that's not, and, and here are the conditions. I mean, he gives them right here. He would love life and see good days. Let him pray his tongue from evil. And let his lips be speaking, his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. You want, the, you want to love life and have good days? Let him seek peace and pursue it. And if you do that, the Lord's with you. If you don't, then the Lord is against you. It's as simple as that. Sounds a lot like the Deuteronomy covenant to me. Now, again, it doesn't apply to salvation, but as far as blessings, it applies. There's a lot of conditional promises that were given in the Old Testament that are also given to the church. A lot of them. Let me just give you a few examples. One of them is this. that and Remember in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 13, it says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Isn't that, doesn't that apply to the New Testament saint too? Are you going to find God if you never give God any attention? If you're a New Testament saint, is he just going to come to you and be with you when you don't give a flip about him? No. What's the, what's the, remember what the author of Hebrews told us when we were in Hebrews? He said, it is impossible to please God without faith, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and listen to this, then, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He rewards you if you diligently seek him. What's he reward you with? Not with, 
necessarily with stuff. He rewards you with his presence. He rewards you with his ear. He listens to your prayers. His ears are attentive to what you say. And if, on the other hand, you flip it around, if you, you're negligent in your prayers and you're flipping in your approach to God, then God is not going to reward you. He's not a rewarder of those that don't give a flip about him. You might be saved. Now, I wonder about that sometimes. That's a dangerous place to be. If you don't give a flip about God, then i got to wonder if you're really saved. If you don't care enough about God to cut the TV off every once in a while and go seek God, I kind of wonder about you. There should be a desire to know God. But let me tell you what, if you're a child of God and you're approaching God in that kind of manner where you, he's last place in your life, if you've put him last place in your life, then don't expect to live the good life. Expect the opposite. Expect the Lord to be against you until he gets you to a point where you're broken and you seek him, and, you, and then you'll find the good life. But why go to that point? Why put yourself in that position when you have God Almighty who died for you on a cross and wants to have a relationship with you? Why be negligent in your prayers? Another promise that you see in the Bible that's conditional, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, you see this in the New Testament, you see this in the Old Testament. And really it's very similar to what we just looked at. In 1 Corinthians, in, or actually 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he, Paul says that if we separate ourselves from this world, then God will treat us as his sons and daughters. We will become sons and daughters of God. What he means there is he will treat us as sons and daughters of God. So that means that if we don't separate ourselves from this world, we're not going to experience the blessings of being a son and daughter of God. Now, you might be positionally saved, but you won't be leading the good life. Look, I, I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you're here today and you don't love your life, if you don't love your life, you might want to come back and really study this passage right here. There's a reason you don't love your life. There's a reason you aren't seeing good days. There's a reason all your days are bad. And you can find it right here in this text. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were, were promised that if, actually, they were told to give 10% of what they made, and, and they were told you better give it, and if you don't give it, you're robbing me, and you're going to be cursed. Well, we're not under law. And you don't have to type. You don't have to give anything if you don't want. But let me tell you something. The principle in the Old Testament is the same as the principle in the New Testament because in the New Testament it says, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully into the kingdom of God will reap bountifully in their life. They'll experience the good life. They'll be blessed by God. And if you're, and I'm not trying to get in your wallet here today, but if you're hanging on to your wallet and you don't give anything to God, I don't care where you give it, but if all you do is take care of yourself, you're going to always be struggling financially. I can tell you right now. You're going to always be reaping sparingly. God will teach you that. So these are conditional promises. We're not under the Deuteronomy covenant. Maybe you could say that. But the principle is the same. The conditions are the same. I mean... You do good, you speak good words, you give, 
You separate yourselves from the world, and God, the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. If you don't, hey, here's a condition. This is quoted from the Old Testament, but it's been placed here in the New Testament for all of us New Testament believers. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Man, I'll tell you what. I don't, you can be against me if you want to be. And I'm not going to be too worried about that. And I might be against you and you won't be too worried about that. But man, when the Lord's face is against you, you better be worried about that. And I'm not trying to scare you or anything, but, but, he, but Peter is. So we'll let him take care of that. Now, you can't live the good life if you're always worried about somebody harming you. If you're worried about that bozo over in North Korea shooting a missile at you and, and, and destroying beautiful Lafayette, if you're worried about that, you're not going to live the good life. If you're worried about Putin or you're worried about ISIS or you're worried about terrorists, you're not going to live the good life. You can't do it. But look at the promise here. And, 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 and let me, again, set the setting. Here was this church that, or group of churches, believers that Peter was writing to who were under heavy persecution. Their property was being confiscated. They were being thrown into jail. And he's still telling them, you still can live the good life. And I don't care how bad it gets, the promises of God are sure. And one of the promises he gives right here in verse number 13, and he says, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're doing what Jesus Christ wants you to do, who is he who can harm you? That's exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? No harm can come to you if you're living in the hedge, under the hedge of God. If you're doing the right thing, if you're living the Christian life the way God has called you to live that life, no harm can come to you except the harm that God allows. And if he allows harm to come to you, it's for your good. That's the only harm that come, can come to you, and it's, and it's for your good. So it's because there are some times, because there's a but here. Look at the but. He says, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, and these people were suffering for righteousness' sake. You know, it's getting close here in the United States where that's going to happen here. It's getting real close. I mean, when, when North Carolina can, can pass a law that says men go in men's bathroom and women go in women's bathroom, and then all these states start saying, we're, gonna, we're not going to let our people travel to those states because they're not perverted like us. We're heading for some persecution. We're heading for some trouble. And says, but even if you suffer trouble for righteousness' sake, listen, watch this, the good life doesn't go away. You are blessed. You are blessed. God is going to bless you in whatever situation you're placed in. It's an honor to suffer for Jesus Christ. 
and you're going to be blessed. So don't be afraid of their threats and be troubled. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you why God allowed, the main reason God allows believers to be put into positions where they are persecuted and they're reviled and they're criticized. Let me tell you why. It's so that they can witness the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the main reason he allows it. Or he'd take us all out of here as soon as we got saved. So he leaves you here as a witness. And when you're at your job and your boss doesn't treat you right, you write and you curse your boss out and you tell your boss I'm quitting and you walk away from your job. Great witness, right? No. It's a terrible witness. I mean, if you're having rough times in your marriage and you walk away from your marriage, great witness, right? No. I mean, there's no witness in quitting anything. There's no witness in running away from anything. Maybe God wants you in the place you're at. Maybe he wants you to suffer so that you can be a witness. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of their threats. Don't be afraid of their trouble because they can't harm you. God will not allow them to harm you. Man, I have seen this over and over again. I don't know how many times I've had people come to me and tell me you're not going to believe what's happening in my work and all the, this guy's falsely accused me of this and, and, and he's try, they're trying to fire me at my job. And I said, look, just settle down a minute. The devil loves to bark at believers. He loves to harass believers. But you just wait and see if you're going to lose your job or not. And most of the time, unless God's trying to get them out of that job because he doesn't want them there, it all goes away. I've told my wife on several occasions, she gets somebody that's just giving her a really hard time. I say, look, just ignore them. It's only the devil barking at you. And they're not going to harm you. And sure enough, they end up getting fired and she keeps right on going. That's, that's, God is not going to allow harm to come, you, come to you. He might allow you to suffer. He might allow you to be in a difficult situation at your workplace or in your marriage or in your neighborhood or wherever you're at. But no harm is going to come to you. And so don't be afraid. And now look, you want the secret of the good life? Look at the very next verse. Here's the secret of the good life. Now, you got to do all those things. You got to, you got to love, you got to refrain from evil. You got to turn from evil and do good. You got to seek peace and do all the things that he said. But here's the secret. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That's the secret of the good life. That's what Solomon learned. The good life's in the Lord. Sanctify. What's that mean, sanctify? Set apart. In other words, set God apart from everything else in your life and make him number one. That's the secret of the good life. Why is that the secret of the good life? Because if you've sanctified God in your heart and you've made him number one in your heart, that's where the power comes to live, to be able to refrain your tongue, to be able to turn from evil, to be able to seek peace. That's where all the power comes. And you have the power to do those things, no matter how difficult the situation. That's why you're not afraid, and no matter what comes your way, if you have God sanctified first in your heart. Boy, if you're living close to the Lord, let me tell you something. Nothing scares you. Nothing scares you. Man, I can attest to that. I heard a doctor tell me, you don't have long to live. And I, I, could, I almost laughed. I couldn't believe it. You know, where, did that, where did that come from? 
It came from the Lord. I mean, I, I, after that kind of anointing went away, I was scared to death. <laughs> but boy, when he first told me, it was like, oh, y'all want to, let's go celebrate. You know, what am I doing here? I might see the Lord soon. You sanctify the Lord first in your life and watch the fears go away. Watch the power come into your heart. And then look at what he says. You sanctify the Lord first. And even though you're suffering, even, and maybe because you're suffering, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be different from everybody else. You're going to refrain your tongue from saying evil things. You're going to turn from evil and do good. You're going you're to seek peace and pursue it. And you know what? At that point, people are going to come to you, and they're going to want to know, how do you live like where do you find a joy in a situation like that? Where do you find strength in a situation like that? You know, our actions speak a lot louder than our words. Our silence, when somebody's reviling us and criticizing us, it speaks a lot louder than our words. But, and I've heard people say, man, I just, you know, I share the gospel by my life. That, that's good. I agree with that. By my silence and by my willing to take persecution, and by my kindness and my tenderheartedness and my compassion, I share the gospel of Jesus Christ. No, you don't. You show people that you're different. At some point, you've got to speak. And you've got to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says there. He says, be ready to give a defense. That's the word apologetic. And I don't think you, at this point he's talking about you've got to prove that God exists. You've got to prove that God created the earth in seven days and seven, and you've got to prove the creation account. That's not what he's talking about here at all. You've got to give a defense, an apologetic, to everyone who asks you for the reason why you're different, why you have this hope in you. And you do it, watch this, with meekness, and fear. Fear for what? Reverence is a better word for Jesus Christ. That's the answer you've got to be ready to give. You know what the answer is when somebody comes to you and asks you what, why you have such hope, why you have such joy, why you, why you have such peace, why you don't strike back when people strike at you? You know what the answer is? Man, I'm no different from you. It's not, well, I'm a Christian. You know, and I'm better than you. No, you come with meekness. You say, look, I'm no better than you. Hey, I used to be just like that. I used to be just like my boss. I used to be just like my spouse. I used to be just like whoever I'm talking about that's not saved. I used to be just like them. But you know what? I didn't like that. And I didn't want to be like that. And I recognized that I was a sinner. And I came to the cross. And you better bring the cross in there or you're wasting your time. There's so much. I mean, I've, I've watched like five of these Christian movies in the last couple of years, and, and very rarely do you hear about the blood of Jesus Christ. If, I don't think in any of them you heard about the blood of Jesus Christ. Maybe the cross. But friends, you have no gospel without the cross. You have no gospel without the blood. So in reverence for Jesus Christ, you share the gospel, and you tell them it's his blood. It might sound silly to them. I don't care. It's his blood that saved me. 
It's his death on the cross that saved me. It's his death on the cross that paid for my sins. That's how I live the way I live now. Not because I'm special, not because I'm stronger than you or better than you, but because Jesus Christ has saved me. I've sanctified him in my life. I've made him first, and he's given me the power to live like this. Having a good conscience that when they defame you, not if, when they defame you as evildoers. You know, people love to rant against Christians. Our society loves to rant against Christians. They love to hate Christians because they see the good in us. And it is like looking in a mirror and they see how dirty they are, so they want to bring us down. But by your good conduct in Christ, you make them ashamed. You know what you do when you live the the good life? You know what you do? You make them ashamed. You make them out to be liars. I mean, I look at all the people that have criticized Billy Graham over the years, and, and he never, all the things that were thrown at him, he never fell, as far as I know, once. I mean, he certainly sinned, I'm sure. But he didn't fall into all the, the traps that were laid for him. He, he stayed out of those things. And he made out a lot of people out to be liars in the end. He made them ashamed because he wasn't ashamed of way, the way he lived. I look at these mega pastors one after the other falling into, into, into these terrible sins and, I, and, and, and doing things that they're ashamed of. And the media pounces on that because they say, look, Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. They say that they have the power within them to be changed and yet they, they're living worse lives than we live. They're worse sinners than we are. So we don't want to be doing things we're ashamed of. What we want to do is live the good life, and live righteously before God, and we make them ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God for you to suffer doing good than doing good and evil. Better. I mean, obviously that's better. Nobody has to exegete that text. You know it's better to suffer for, for, for Christ from persecution, from being, from being reviled and being being criticized falsely, lied about, than, than from doing evil. It's not a pretty picture when a Christian does evil. You know what? i got to tell you, we wonder why our witness is so poor. We wonder why nobody wants what we have. It's because we're not living the good life. We're not living the good life. So let me ask you something. Do you want to live the good life? Maybe you want to live a good life. Maybe you want to love life. I mean, if you want to see good days all of your life, well, here's, there's the formula. Refrain your tongue from evil. Don't be a liar. Turn, turn from evil and do good. Pursue peace. And the Lord's eyes will be upon you and his ears will be open to your prayers. And when you go through trials, he's going to protect you from harm. That's the good life. That's the life we all want, and that's the life, a life you can love. You know, you can take this formula right here, and you can apply it to any 
situation in life. Any situation in life. Any relationship in life. And you can find the good life if you'll just take that formula and apply it to your life. You know, I mentioned last week that when I counsel people who are having trouble in their marriage, I bring them to this passage. So I won't have to do any counseling anymore. You can just go to the passage. <laughs> you know, I had to oversimplify things. But you know what? The formula's right here for a good marriage. For a good relationship with your job. For a good relationship with your neighbors. It's right here. You know, I bring a husband and wife to this passage, and I say, I take them to verse 1, you know, where it says, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. I take them to verse 7, which really says, husbands, be submissive to your wives. Likewise, you dwell with them with honor, giving them honor. You honor them as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's a lot of honor. You live like that, you're going to have a good marriage. You really don't have to go any further. But then, I, But I go further. I say, you know, I, I take them past that. Look at, I take them to verse 8. Have compassion on one another. Love your wife not just as a sexual partner, but as your sister. Or love, wives, love your husband as your brother. I mean, as your friend. Be tenderhearted. Man, I see so many marriages where people become hard-hearted. Be courteous. Say kind words. Bless your family members. Don't curse your family members. Man, God forbid a Christian would curse his spouse. Man, I'll carry this down and you'll see where I'm heading. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. You know what I tell the husband and wife? If one of you, if one of you in that marriage will take the high road, one of you, and when your spouse reviles you, 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 you don't say anything. When they criticize you, you don't criticize them back. You, you don't say anything. If you'll live like that, God will bless your marriage. But, you know, everybody's got to have their rights. Everybody demands their rights in America. We've got to have our rights. If he's going to criticize me, I'm going I'm I'm to criticize him. That's the attitude. Let him turn away from, let, let, let him go back and let his lips from speaking deceit. You know what? The worst thing in the world is a lying spouse. Because if you can't have trust in a marriage, you've got nothing. And you're sorry if you lie to your wife or you, you now if she puts on a dress that you really don't like, and she said, how do you like this? You got to lie. There are exceptions. But on the big things, you don't lie. Because without trust, you can't have a marriage. And even if your spouse is lying to you, you don't lie to them. Hey, you want to love your marriage? He who would love his marriage and see good days in his marriage? Keep your tongue from evil. And your lips from lying. Turn away from evil. Any evil thing you've got in your life, it's pornography, if it's drinking, if it's anything that's bringing your marriage down, you turn away from it. And seek peace. Seek peace in your marriage. Run after peace in your marriage. 
You know, I got to say, my wife saved our marriage in the early days of our marriage because I wanted to fight. Brenda didn't like fighting. She wouldn't fight with me. And, and, and when, when she wouldn't fight with me, and I'm screaming and yelling, guess who looked like the fool? She didn't. I did. Five minutes after my temper was down, I was the one apologizing. Even if maybe she had done something wrong. She made a fool of me by being quiet. You want a good marriage? You do those things in the eyes of the Lord on the righteous. You can have a partner, one partner that's righteous and one that's evil. And I can tell you what, who the Lord's looking out after. He's looking out after the righteous spouse and not the evil spouse. His eyes, face is set against those who do evil. I tell you what, you're in a marriage and you treat your wife wrong or your wife treats you wrong, however it goes, and you continue that, the Lord is against you. His face is set against you. He's against those who do evil, and he'll fix that situation in time. You give him time. He might have to take your spouse out or get you out of there, but he'll fix it. That's a promise. You don't have to worry. No harm's going to come to you if you're a child of God. You don't have to be afraid. You witness. You witness. Husband or wife. Just as he said right here, he says, he says, he says in, in verse chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husband, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. You can reverse that. A wife can be won by the conduct of her husband. That's the good life. That's the good life. You can apply that to your job. You can apply it to any relationship in life. God wants you to have a good life and see good days. And it begins by putting God first. Sanctifying the Lord in your heart. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the good life you've given us in Jesus Christ. Every single one of us here, Lord, who lived life as a sinner and as a rebel against your kingdom, we know how much better life is now we've come to Jesus Christ. Lord, but there's promises here even for us now as believers that our life can be even better if we'll just control our tongues and turn from evil and do good. Be compassionate and tenderhearted, Lord, towards others. You're going to bless our lives and no harm's going to come to us that you don't allow, Lord. Father, and that comes by our choice each and every day to sanctify you in our hearts, to make you number one in our lives. And Lord, all of these other things take care of themselves when we do that. Father, we just again just thank you for your word and the great lessons you teach us. We thank you through Jesus Christ. It's in his precious name that I pray. Amen.